Okay, if you weren't here last week, I, uh, I came in with a hammer, and today I'm going to have a little more of a feather, all right? So if you're visiting, just be glad this is your first week, all right? Wasn't last week. Um, but I'm, I'm going to kind of pick up with a recap of what we did last week, because I know from week to week, just with people listening online or uh, people visiting, and if I jump in in the middle of a two-part sermon, you won't know where I am, right? So I'm going to start out with... Uh, Picking up from last week, uh, just what it means to be masters of money. And too often, I think most of us agree as Americans, our, mas- our money masters us. And you can't have two gods, Jesus is going to say. Um, and the reality of it is, is this. This is what I want to start you out with. Well, a lot of times when we think of judgment, we think that's a bad thing. But if you're on the right side of the law, judgment's a good thing. And... Bible tells us that for all of us, someday, there's going to come a judgment after we die, okay? And Jesus says, here's the good news. Judgment is on our side. We look forward to it. That whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So if you place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you believe that he died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave, then God has a spot reserved for you in heaven, Okay, so when I'm talking about judgment today, I'm not necessarily talking about judgment whether or not you get into heaven over what I'm talking about. Okay, that judgment has already been completed at the cross. If you have faith in what Christ did for you and Calvary rose from the grave, don't worry about that judgment. Okay, but there's this other judgment that we're going to go through after we go through the pearly gates at the judgment seat of Christ where Jesus judges Christians for what it says here, what we've done in the body, whether good or evil, okay? And the fact is, even after you're a Christian, sometimes we do sinful and evil things. And so basically all the sin we do is getting piled up in this barrel over here, and we're going to remember that uh, we'll answer for that, but ultimately Jesus is going to say, my blood died, I gave my blood for that, my And God will say, my son died for that, therefore you are forgiven because you asked for forgiveness based on the blood of Jesus Christ, okay? But on the other side, you're going to be judged for the good things that you've done, and this is where we would get heavenly rewards, okay? And more ability to serve him and higher position in heaven, not that somebody's uh, more valuable to God, but you'll be able to serve God in other ways. Can't go into that in in this sermon, uh, but uh, that's an end time sermon that we do, just about how we'll be serving in the kingdom of God, okay? We'll give an answer for that. There will come a day when Jesus says, again, this isn't based on salvation. It says, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me into your home. I was naked, and you clothed me. Uh, I was in I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Now, now here's what I want you to see here. There are six things in these verses that God's going to reward us for, okay? Hungry, food. Thirsty, gave him water. Stranger, you welcomed me in, got me a place to stay. Naked, you gave me clothes. Sick, you took the time to visit. And, and visiting a lot of times has the connotation of took care of me, Okay? I was in prison, and you came to me. Now, how many of those, at least how many of those, do you have to have money to be able to help people with those things? Like just about all of them, right? Just about all. Like if someone needs food, then you're going to have to pay for that. If people are thirsty, then you're going to have to pay for that, okay? If someone is a stranger and they need a place to stay, you're going to have to bring them into your home that you've paid for, Okay? If they're naked, you give them clothes, that's going to cause you. If they're sick and you take care of them in their sickness, I mean, do hospitals cost money? Does it take money to take care of sick people, right? It's not just like, hey, I heard you're sick. See you later. Like, big help you were, right? So this is visiting them in their time of need and in prison, and you came to me. I mean, maybe that is just a visit, but usually when people go to prisons, they do what they can to help the people who are stuck in there because in their prison system back in Jesus' day, you know what, I've never shared this before. Never shared this before. In Jesus' day, in their prison system, it wasn't the job of the prison to feed the prisoners. We think American prison system, okay? If you didn't have family bring money to the jailers or bring food to the prison, then you starved to death while you were in prison, okay? 
So again, all these pretty much have to do with money, okay? And Jesus reminds us, no one can serve two masters. Either will hate the one, love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, cannot, cannot serve both God and money. You can't have two gods in your life. You're either going to use religion to get money, or you're going to follow God and use your money to worship him. That, that's the challenge we always face, okay? And the, listen, the things that I'm talking to you about today, here's why I share this with you about using money God's way and mastering your money. The devil throws everything at you in the world, but remember, his only goal is to steal and kill and destroy you. But Jesus came that you might have life and have life to the full, an abundant life. That's why Jesus came. And that's why God gives us these rules for human flourishing throughout the Bible. And that's why in particular, when it comes to finances, finances in your life, he, he gives principles of financial happiness. And I don't want any of you to be miserable. So listen, I don't, I don't want you to leave here last week feeling miserable, feeling guilty. I want you to leave here starting to feel empowered. Like, I'm going to become a master of my money. I'm not going to allow money to master over me. I'm going to be a good servant of God and use his money to serve him as opposed to using my money to serve me. So I want you to be happy. Jesus wants you to be happy. Here's, here's fundamentally the key to financial ha happiness. You ready for this? Be a giver, not a debtor. People in debt are not as happy as people not in debt. And one of the things that you can do that will make you the happiest is when you give things away. If you're a follower of Christ, it makes you happy to give. But if God, if the God of your life is money, then you are happy when you receive. Do you understand that? If all you want is give me money, give me money, give me money, because that's my God, then you're going to not be happy when you give. But when you love God and want to be like God, since God is a giver, then you're going to be a giver, okay? This is why you're miserable if you're a constant debtor. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. You lose freedom. Remember, Jesus wants you to be free. He's trying to set you free, so I'm hoping that I for some of you, I will encourage you as you continue in your steps to be free from debt. And for other of you, I hope to exhort you so that you either, one, never get in debt, or two, uh, you'll keep moving out of that. Okay? Here's the biblical principle when it comes to finances. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has filled, fulfilled the law. Now, what does that mean? Owe no one anything. That's not rocket science. I shouldn't owe you money. Okay? In fact, here's the thing. Like, if I go to my friend Kevin here, and I get money from him, now I'm a servant to him because I owe him money. All right? I'm constantly owing him money. I need to pay that back soon. All right? So, but here's the deal. If I love him, I should be the one willing to help him out. Thank you for helping me, whatever in my time of need, right? But ultimately, I want to be the helper to Kevin, not Kevin always being the helper to me. This is why, listen, this is why moms and dads, if your kid's in debt, one of the worst things you can do is lend them money because now they're going to be in more debt. And they haven't learned their lesson how to get out of that. Teach them this principle. Don't owe anyone anything. And not out of pride, not because you're better than anybody else, because when you owe other people money, it takes away your ability to help people in their time of need. And this is what the Bible says. There'll be a blessing if you do these things. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today. So that's, that's why I'm here. I'm doing this again. Not to burden you, but to free you. Okay? So here's one of the freeing principles that come, flow from, be a giver, not a debtor. Here it is. Fight the urge to think that only 10% of what you have belongs to God. Because deep down we know everything in the world, as the psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, everything in it. The world and those who dwell within. The silver is mine, he says in Haggai 2.8. The gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. All the money you have, it all belongs to God. The beast of the forest is mine, 
Every beast, the cattle on a thousand hills, everything belongs to me. I know all the birds of the air, of the hills, and I, all that moves in the field is mine. Every little ant that moves out in the field, all gazillion of them that are on this earth, God owns every single one. Okay? So that's kind of principle number one that flows from the big principle. Okay? Uh, but two, ask you, and this is where you just got to have a, ask God to do this. Because, listen, this is the most unnatural thing for people who are born at, with a sinful nature. It's the most unnatural thing. The most natural thing is for us to be selfish. Okay? This is where we have to ask God, because I'm just telling you, apart from the Holy Spirit, you, you're never going to have a chance at doing this verse. Maybe your kids, your closest relatives, but when it comes to everybody around the world, your neighbors, everybody you're around, right? You're not going to do this apart from the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's impossible. It's unnatural. Ask God to help you to love others as much as you love yourself, Okay? This is where it says in Leviticus 19, 18, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. All right? Now, he explains in the earlier verses, what does it mean when you love your neighbor as you love yourself? What does that look like? That doesn't mean you just pray for them. In this passage where this statement is made, Jesus is, says is one of the greatest commandments in the entire Bible. I want you to see what loving your neighbor as you love yourself looks like according to this chapter in context. Whenever you reap the harvest of your land, that is, that's your payday when you reap the harvest, you shall not reap your field right up to the edge. In other words, you don't take all that's in. If you're a farmer, this is talking about like corn, right? But if you're a regular employee with a paycheck, I mean, just look at it as your paycheck. When you reap the harvest of your work for the last two weeks and your paycheck, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. In other words, watch, watch. In other words, what he's saying is don't spend everything in your paycheck upon yourself. Leave the edges for others. Here's the problem in America. Most people in America are spending 105% of their paycheck. That means they're going in debt. Most people are 5% in debt. They're spending 105% of what they've got coming in. And what it says is not only should you not only be not spending 105%, you shouldn't be spending 100%. You shouldn't even spend 95%. Some people would say, well, 10% belongs to God. Belongs to God. I'm going to live on 90%. Wrong. That is not the principle. Get this in our thick heads. Don't gather the gleanings after your harvest. Don't like miser every little red cent. Don't strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the father grapes out of your vineyard. Like, be generous. Be willing to give it away. It says, you shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Now, why does he have to remind us that he's the Lord? Because he's the boss and you're not. I should have had a whole lot more amens on that. He is the boss. Thank you, Phil. He's the boss, applesauce. Somebody tell somebody, and I know you hate when I do this in church, but I'm going to do it anyway just to wake you up, all right? Somebody tell somebody, God's the boss. And now tell somebody else, I'm not the boss. All right, it's like you parent, oh, man, that was not nearly as loud as the first one. Now, Kevin said that to Carla, and Carla said, I know, I am. <laughs> I heard her say it from up here on the stage. We're just 10 feet away. Carla's not the boss. God's the boss. Don't walk out, Carla. <laughs> yes, I am. All right? You don't steal from other people. Why don't you steal from other people? Because God's a giver. We want to look like God, Right? You shall not deal falsely. Why don't we deal falsely with others? Because Jesus doesn't deal falsely. He tells the truth. He wouldn't lie to you. We want to be like Jesus, be truth tellers. We don't swear by the name of God falsely. We always say what we need to say truthfully. You don't misuse God's name. And whatever you do, if you love your neighbor as you love yourself, you're not going to oppress your neighbor and rob him. You're not going to cheat him out of what comes is desired is desired from him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. In other words, pay your bills as you owe them. 
Just reminds me, oh, Chris Ball, five bucks. Where's Chris Ball? Come up here, Chris, right now. We went to the Y the other day. No, 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 it's too late. Like, I'll be a hypocrite if I don't give you this money. Like, right now, come up to the stage. Come on. Come on down. And you know what? All I have is a $10 bill. So I'm going to lose five bucks on this transit. You got $5? No. Well, now you owe me $5. I better get it tonight. Before It shall not wait till the morning, all right? I'm confessing my sins to everybody. Like, I saw him over there, and he's like, oh, here comes my $5. That's right. Praise the Lord. Aren't y'all glad Chris is obedient to the Word of God? There you go. There, give a big hand to Chris. There we go. Yeah, that's right. I got my money. Yeah, tri- now you owe your wife five bucks. Make sure you give that to her before you go home, okay? He owes her a lot more than that. All right. So here's the thing. Like, this is what we all deal with. Here it is. This is what I asked you to think about this week. This is where we left off. The struggle. Here's the struggle. And I hope you had it this week. I, uh, I went this weekend to go see my son at Duke. First time I've ever been to a game at uh, Cameron Indoor Stadium for a Duke game. We got four tickets he got through somebody he tutors there. Uh, we were in the, like, the luxury seats, just nine rows up from Duke's bench. Crazy wild game. And we talked about it because those tickets, we looked at what they were going on on StubHub, and they were going between four and $500 per ticket. And you just got to think at that point, like, this game ain't worth $2,000 to me. But they were a gift, so we couldn't make money on it, so we might as well go to the game, all right? <laughs> but not only that, I mean, like, we had to spend the gas money to get down there. We had three meals out. We went to Zaxby's and Chick-fil-A and the student center for lunch, $5 student lunch. Big-time spenders, all right? But you think about, like, man, here we are, and everybody in there has got to be rich in some way. All the students are paying $62,000 a year in tuition just to go to that school. Like, who writes that check? But at the same time we're doing that, I know, and I just remember from my time in Africa, is I'd be sitting there, and they're feeding me like a, as a pastor like it's a feast. And outside the window, i got kids that look like this. I mean, we've got our missionaries in Ethiopia this weekend. Y'all remember Bill Harding that works over, his son Drew? They're over in Ethiopia right now. Right now, still worshiping the Lord. And there are kids not far from that village, actually not far from that worship service, who don't look a whole lot different than that. And so that's the question is like, how, this is where we got to struggle. Like, how can I even spend the gas money to go to a Duke basketball game, even if the tickets are free? When I know I could have probably taken the hundred bucks that I had in this weekend and sent it to these kids. How can I sit there and enjoy that game when I know there are kids dying because they don't have clean water? And that's the struggle. Do you feel that with me at all? Have you just put it in the back of your mind for so long that you don't even think about stuff like that because you should? And so when you come to an area of struggle like that, ultimately, like, who is our model for life? Who do we try to model our lives after? His name is Jesus, right? And so we got to ask the question, did Jesus ever go to a party? And we know the answer to that is what? Yes. Did Jesus ever go to a feast? And the answer to that is what? Yes. Did he go to several biblical feasts? Yes. At Passover, they call it the Passover what? Feast. It was a party for an entire week. And then they would have the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of First Fruits. And they called it a feast because you ate a whole lot more than what you needed. Jesus went to parties. Did he go to weddings where people were feasting? He did his first miracle 
at a wedding where they were having a feast. And those weddings would last a week. So how is Jesus doing that when there are people outside of where he's having these wedding feasts who are starving? He said, listen, the poor are always going to be among you. How can we do this? And when people were giving their life's treasure in order to worship him, even Judas threw this up in Jesus' face. How can you let these people spend this money, much money on worshiping you when there are poor people out there? Don't you hear that around our nation today? Like, man, look at the church, all that money they spend down there. I think they'd be better off spending that money instead of spending it on organs or musical instruments and, and microphones and lights and cameras. You know, instead of spending it on that stuff, they ought to give it away to the homeless in the community. Like, they're just throwing money away. They're spending it on themselves. Haven't you heard something like that? People complaining about the church, that they're spending money on worship and church buildings and facilities. Did Jesus give money to the temple? The answer to that is what? And the temple had what kind of doors on the front of it? Golden. Gold doors when there are people within a mile of those doors starving. Where's the balance? How do you work through this struggle? Do do y'all follow what I'm saying? So I'm going to walk you through the principle. Let's just think through this together. Let's feel through this together. Here's the principle. What do we do? We do what Jesus did. We practice biblical tithing principles. This is what we do. Okay? There are a number of these. I'm going to start with one. The first one is what the Bible calls the storehouse tithe. This is the 10% of that paycheck when it comes in before taxes that they would give to their local place of worship, their synagogue. And people say, oh, man, that's what Moses laid down, Old Testament law. Listen, this existed hundreds of years before Moses. In fact, the first time in the Bible we actually see a priest, Abraham's giving him 10%. It says, in Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abraham by God most high, possessor of the heaven and earth. So he's acknowledging that God owns everything here in Genesis 14, 19. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave Melchizedek, what? A tenth of everything he had. 10% right off the top. Later, Moses writes this, following the Abrahamic principle that was given before the law, to the Levites I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance. Everybody in Israel is supposed to give to where their pastors work a tithe everywhere in return for the service that they do, their service in the tent of meaning. This is the first check they write. Now, this is difficult for me as a pastor to talk about this. feels a little weird. Other than I'm just telling you directly what the Bible says to do. Your first check, your tithe, does not go to poor people. Your first check, your tithe, goes back to God's people, to your place of worship, to where your pastors work, to the building where you're working. How do I know? I mean, we see it again in Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 37. Bring the first of our dough. I don't mean dough like in the 70 cents referring to money, but like 10% of all the bread that you have. The first 10% of all our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil to the priest, every bit of income that we come have come in, 10% goes to your local place of worship, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground. As farmers, like everything we bring in, a tithe goes there. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in our towns where we labor. That's that local place of worship. It's not saying send it to the temple down in Jerusalem. It's saying you bring what you bring in your city to your local place of worship, to the Levites. They oversee the dispersing of those gifts. Now, does this change in the New Testament? If God gives an Old Testament principle, does it go away? The fact that God doesn't want us to be debtors, does that change? 
No, why? Okay? Here's why. Watch this. It says, for the Lord, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. I should have already wiped you out, but I want you to do the right things. Here's the problem. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes, and you've not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how will we return? Now watch this. Don't, Don't miss this. People aren't walking right with Jesus. People aren't in a right relationship with God like they should be. Like God loves them. They're his people. They have faith in him. They're trusting in the coming of the Messiah someday, just like people today are trusting in the second coming. But on the first coming that he rose from the dead, we're trusting in that. But if you want to show obedience, they say to you, okay, we want to return to you. We need to repent. Watch. What's the first thing we need to do and to getting back in right relationship and doing what it is you want us to do. What's the first thing? How should we return? What's step number one, Jesus? Again, this is after you're saved. He's talking to people who believe. What's step number one? He said, well, man robbed God, yet you were robbing me. And they said, well, how have I robbed you? I haven't robbed you. The answer is this, is in your tithes, but not only your tithes, that's the 10%. You've been robbing me there, stealing from God. That's what happens when you don't tithe. But also, you've been robbing me in that you haven't been giving your what? Contributions. Your tithes are the 10% that go to your local storehouse. Everybody follow that? But when we don't give extra contributions, you're still robbing God. So do you understand? Do you follow what I'm saying? You can write a full 10% to the church and you're like, I've done my duty. I'm walking right with God. But what he would say to you if you're doing that, he said, well, what about the other contributions? To which most of us in the church would say what? Just being honest, what would most of us say when you read this verse? You're just looking at me. There should be a natural question that comes right here. What contributions? Like how many, be honest, be honest. How many of you honestly, just raise your hand. I'm not setting you up, all right? We're just church family here. How many of you honestly were raised to believe that really the only thing you owed God contribution-wise to the local church was your tithe. You tithe, and then the other 90%, you can do whatever you want to. Something like that. Raise your hand if that's how you raise a belief. That's more than half the people in this room. Okay? That's how most pastors teach. In fact, there's this new wave of pastors that say, don't worry about the tithe. Just give out of the abundance of your heart. And so when people give out of the abundance of the heart because their God is money, the average Christian in America giving out the abundance of heart. Don't worry about the tithe. Give out the abundance of your heart. You know how people hear that? Give less than 10%. The average Christian in America gives 2 to 3% away to charity. Tith- giving to their local churches included to that 2 to 3%. I mean, that's counting like Girl Scout cookies giveaways. Robbing God. And because you're robbing God, this is what he says, you are cursed with a curse. You're going into debt. You're not giving to your local place of worship. I'm going to send trouble your way. I'm just seeing it in my life. I'm not saying this to scare you. I'm just saying, man, when I, when I forget to give my whatever to the Lord and my contributions or when God says to me, give, and I don't give in the way he puts in my heart to give, same thing for D, like bad stuff happens. Things don't happen the way it's like stuff happens to me. And it, I just have to sit down when crazy stuff happens, just like, what is this happening to me? A lot of times it's related to, man, I forgot to give on this. Or he put on my heart to give away to this, and I just didn't do it. And when God puts it on your heart to give something and you don't, there's a word for that in the Bible. It's, it's robbing God. 
But a lot of times the reason we don't give like we have on our heart to give is because we talk with our spouse and the answer is we can't afford to. And the reason we say we can't afford to is why? Because we are in, what's the worst four-letter word that you could ever have? Debt. D-E-B-T. Man, that is a dirty word here at this church. Debt. So how do we fix it? Well, you bring in the full tithe into the storehouse. That's where you start. Tithe. That there may be food in my house. In other words, that we can supply what we need to supply to the people that work here and do what needs to be done around this. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. This is the only place we see that we can do this. He wants you to see, I will open up the windows of heaven and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. Now, there's a key word here is until there is no more need. Now, for some of you, that's your four-letter word. Because there's a lot of things that we say we need, but they ain't need. That's why I'm dressing like I'm dressing today. Like, do I really need to have any fancier clothes than these? And the answer to that is what? No. No. I don't need nicer clothes than this. Now, just be honest. I really want you to be honest. I'm not putting you down. If you're not honest here, it's going to hurt my illustration, okay? I need you to tell the truth. How many of you typically, if you brought somebody to church, you would hope your pastor would dress a little better than this on Sunday morning? Raise your hand. Just be honest. I'm not setting you up. Yeah. There's a lot of you raising your hand right now. Like, come on, Willis, man. You look like a skank down there. All right? All right, there you go. Like, come on, man. I'm going to invite my friends, you hobo. You know, it's just... Do I need to dress better than this? The answer to that is what? No. Then you come into stuff like, should I dress better than this? And most of you would probably say what? Yeah, well, half of half. But here's the thing. If I dress a little nicer than this, how many of you are offended? How many of you, if I dress just a little bit nicer than this, how many of you would say, well, I'm not going back to that church anymore. He's got too nice of clothes. Like, that's not going to happen with anybody, all right? But how many of you say, man, if I dress like this, or how about I just take this shirt and go to a T-shirt right now? Like, how many of you are like, I ain't coming back, <laughs> right? I don't need to, but I probably should, all right? Justin Moore over there. Come on, come on over here, Justin. I, I was planning on picking you out today. He usually dresses like this. All right, Justin's an attorney. He's also the judge. So if you break the speed limit, he is the judge in the city of Canova. I want to tell you this right now. If you get a ticket, just because he's your deacon, don't ask for mercy, all right? Pay the ticket. Don't put him in the awkward place of somebody accusing him of playing favoritism with people he goes to church with. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Okay. Now, here's the deal, though. As an attorney, if you walk into an attorney's office, and I, I'm sitting here in my T-shirt and jeans like this. Who? <laughs> okay? Do you want me handling your, your case? Answer that on three. One, two, three. All right. When you walk into an office, do you want a guy that looks a little bit like this to handle what you got going, right? So here's the question. Does he need to dress like that? The answer is what? But should he dress like that? The answer is what? Yes. All right. Thank you for illustrating that for us. Maybe I got you some business today. Who knows? At least I saved you a headache at court on this week, all right? Because Dave Akers was speeding and he got caught. All right, here we go. That's not true. That's not true. It was Pam. All right, so. Okay, so here we go. It says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. This is where you got to watch. For you tithe on mint and dill and cumin. Little spices, little nothing. People say, well, in the New Testament, Jesus never talks about tithing. Well, what about this? He said, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. He's saying they tithe on everything, but there's something. Listen, the first thing you got to do is tithe, but you're, the reason you're tithing is to get that out of the way so you can do something even more important than tithing. And here it is. It's justice. Justice, what is justice? Is where you see a wrong, you make it right. And usually that takes money. 
and mercy. Someone is hurting and you want to truly help them, not enable them, but help them. And faithfulness. Being true, helping other people as you should. Like, these are the greater things. These are weightier matters of law. So, yeah, you're doing the absolute minimum you should do, but you've neglected this. And for people to say, well, you don't have to worry about tithing. Look at what he says. These, the tithing you ought to have done without neglecting the others. What are the others? Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So, watch this. Watch this. People say, well, I'm going to take my tithe to help these poor people. What would Jesus say? No. You ought to have tithed, of course, on every little red cent. Of course you tithe on that. But you do it without neglecting the justice, mercy, and the righteousness. You have to do that too. And some of you are like, why did I come to church today? You came so you could have joy. You came so you could hear the word of God, so you could be blessed. That's why you're here. I'm blessing you by telling you this, okay? Well, don't feel like a blessing. All right, here it is. There's a second kind of tithe. It's called the charitable tithe. It says, at the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. Watch this. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, that's your local pastor, okay? And the sojourner, that's the alien, that's, that's the people that had come here from Iraq because they had nowhere else to go, all right? The fatherless, those are the foster kids that don't have a daddy to take care of them, the orphans. And the widow, the word for widow literally means the ones who have been abandoned, nobody's taking care of them who are within your towns, shall come and eat and be filled. Now, this isn't talking about the storehouse tithe. This is saying it's a responsibility of God's people. After you've given them your tithe, here are, watch, watch, watch. Here's what Jesus is talking about, the weightier matters of the law. It's good that you take care of your local place of worship. Give your tithe, but the weightier matters are taking care of the aliens who live among you, the people who've been kicked out of their own country, the fatherless, the widow, those who live around you, right in your backyard. They need to be able to eat and have a full belly. But if you do this, this is why you came to church today, this is what God promises. The Lord, your God, will bless you in all the work of your hands. Everything you do, God's going to bless you. But if you want God to bless you, not only do you need to be given a tithe, you got to take care of these orphans, foster children, the Iraqis, the widows, people you see that are hurt. Now, notice it doesn't say the lazy in your town. I got to add that. Because somebody, the Bible says, man won't work, let him starve. And that's not unmerciful. In fact, the most unmerciful thing you can do to somebody standing out in the corner just bumming money is to give them money. It's the worst thing you can do. I'm, I'm telling you, I've asked 100 people bumming for money out here at, at Canova at, by the interstate or out here to say, hey, I won't give you money, but if you want to come down into town with me, I'll buy you something to eat. Or I'll run down there like, no, nah, man, I don't need that. I'm 100 for 100 on that. My last 100 asked, 100 out of 100 said, I, I don't need food. It's not about that. But we want to be blessed. Now, here's the third. I'm answering the question I went back earlier. How do I go to Duke games? How do I go to parties? How do I spend money on clothes I really don't need? How do I buy nicer shoes? How do I go on vacation to Mexico? How can I do that? How could Jesus have those feasts for an entire week, take a week off to go to a wedding when I know there are people starving all over the world? Like, how can I not just give everything away? Well, the Bible explains that. I call it the party tithe. Good reason why. It says, look, you shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes in from the field Year by year, every year you're supposed to do this. Take 10% of everything that comes in 
10% of your paycheck. And before the Lord your God in the place he will choose to make his name dwell there, that's in the land of Israel, Jerusalem eventually where they would have their religious feasts. This is every year they would take three weeks a year and go on vacation to Jerusalem. And the whole week that they're in Jerusalem, they're feasting every night. It's vacation. That's what it is. It's vacation. And while they're on vacation, they're worshiping the Lord. And I encourage you, when you go on vacation, make it an act of worship, not a dime of just indulgence. When you do, like, indulge, thank God for it. Like, thank you, I've got this beach house. Thank you for the beautiful beach. Thank you for the mountains that you've created around me. Let it be a heart of thankfulness while this is going on. When you go there on your vacation to worship the Lord, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may fear the Lord your God always. In other words, when you go on vacation, you remember the only reason I can afford to go on this vacation is because the Lord has provided me the finances to go on this vacation. Whenever I have this luxury, whatever it is, you should thank the Lord. Like, this, 10, I'm taking 10% of what I earn, and I'm just, it's fun money. It's party money. It's good time money. So I can, while I'm having a good time, I'm going to do what? Thank God for the good time. Just like Jesus thanked God for the good time when he would go to his feasts and do the weddings. And it says, if the way is too long for you, like you can't get back to Jerusalem where everybody else is at the big party. You can't make it to New York City for the ball drop. You can't make it there. It's just too much. Maybe your health won't allow, or just financially it's too much. So that you're not able to carry the tide, like all your flocks and herds or whatever. When the Lord your God blesses you, what? Because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses his name there, then you shall turn it into money, like sell those sheep, get the cash, bind up the money in your hand, and then you still need to go on vacation. You still need to go party. Like, go do it. Spend the money. You hear what I'm saying? Take 10%, and what does God tell you to do? Now, y'all should be a lot more excited about this. Yeah, Kelly gives me an amen. Thank you for being honest. Like, I can spend that money. Woo! Spend that money. Take that 10% and spend it. Spend it on, here it comes. Can't be sinful, but spend it on, what does it say? You can spend 10% of your money on whatever you desire. And God's not mad. And you don't have to feel guilty that somewhere over here someone didn't get a flu shot. I mean, it's just spend it. God gives you permission. Take 10% of what you earn and blow it. It's okay. You can blow it on Ruth Chris Steakhouse. How about that, Larry? You like Ruth Chris Steakhouse. Jeff Ruby's. Blow it on Jeff Ruby's. Now remember, y'all just remember, Larry just said... He loves Jeff Ruby's. And the Bible says, Heather, that he can take 10% of that million he earns a year and blow it on Jeff Ruby's. Like, yeah, that's just one meal, right? Now, remember that. Remember what we just said. Larry can go to Jeff Ruby's. He can buy lamb there. That's what I like. He might even get a glass of wine. Now, this isn't the loaded wine like we have today, all right? There's a lot more water down. You're not going to, he's not telling you to get drunk. The Bible says don't get drunk. You can have a little something at the end. I know we're Baptists. And listen, it probably, I got to say this. Even though you've got permission to do it, doesn't mean you should do it. Doesn't mean it's necessarily wise to do it. As a pastor, do I need to be out here throwing down tequila shots at the Mexican restaurant? Now, does God give me permission to do it in this verse? Tell me. What's the answer? You got to say it. No, no Phil, he does. <laughs> well, watch. Question is next. I asked it earlier. Should I do it? And the answer to that is no. Keep going. Whatever your appetite craves. 
long as it's not sin, all right? And you shall eat, when you're doing this, watch. You shall eat there before the Lord your God. And while you're at, what's the name of Jeff Ruby's? While you're at Jeff Ruby's, like, what are you supposed to do, Larry? Rejoice, man. This is one of the best steaks I've ever had in my life. Praise the Lord. Not just you. You got to take Heather and the kids. Now you got to make a lot more money. Now you're just going to Outback, all right? But this is why I share all this, right? I knew this verse was coming. But when you go to to Jeff Ruby's, you shall not neglect your pastor who is within your towns. For he has no portion with you. Like, you got to take me to Jeff Ruby's with you. Or at least buy a gift card and then save that extra $10 you get for the bonus that they give you when you buy the gift card. You can keep that, all right? But if you go to Jeff Ruby's, pastor's getting a gift card, all right? Or you, Pastor John, you can, you can share in this. Okay. But here's the problem. Watch this. The biblical party tithe. That's the luxuries we have in life. God's giving you permission to spend what? 10% on whatever you want. That's what tithe means, 10%. Spend 10% on whatever your heart desires. Take it, blow it. Watch. But that's the only portion of your income that God gives you permission to blow. Now, that's God's principle. Spend 10% on whatever you want. And it's okay. And when you get to heaven, God's not going to judge you for it in a negative way. But that's not how we do it in America. The American party principle is this, the God of money. If you earn 100000 a year in America plus, typical person making more than 100000 a year spends 65% of their income on stuff they do not need. They eat out way too much. They buy way more car than they need. People that make 50000 some of you are saying, that's right, those rich people, they don't need to do that, right? People that make fifty to 100000 a year, they're spilling 50% on stuff they just don't need. Blowing it, no return for it. People make thirty-five to fifty k it's around 40%. Here's the principle I want you to get. You ready for this church? Listen, listen. In this country, I know this is for the whole world, but I'm just saying in this country, if you would just limit your luxury spending to 10%, you're probably never going to go in debt. You're probably not going to get really fat. You're probably not going to fight a whole lot over money. You'll probably be a lot happier. Because here's the thing, when you start spending more and more of your money on more and more of your desires, you start falling in love with more and more because, listen, I said it last week, because where your treasure is, what? There your heart's going to be also. I think this is what Jesus is saying. Listen, if you just spend 10% and stay within that 10%, you're never going to lose perspective. And again, I don't encourage you to go out and drink, but let me tell you what, I've never known, three weeks a year, this is talking about, I've never known anybody to become an alcoholic where all they drink is three weeks out of the year. I've never known anybody to become addicted to cigars when all they do is smoke a cigar 21 days out of the entire year. Our problem is we just spend and spend and spend and spend and spend on stuff we don't need. And then you become addicted to that stuff, whether it's material, physical, whatever. And because we do that, it keeps us from being able to do what we listen give you the most joy in the world, and it's this. This is what Jesus wants. Ultimately, we only spend 10% on luxuries so we can give to those who can't give back. That's why we invest. That's why we work hard. 
That's why we live like no one else now, as Dave Ramsey says, so we can give like no one else later. You just choose to be wise with your money so you can have the joy of giving later in life. Man invited Jesus over to the house for a party. And Jesus said to the man who had invited him to the feast, he said, listen, this is what I want you to do. When you give this dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. And listen, deep down, if you're honest with yourself, most of us, this is how we operate. We ask to go out to lunch with or invite people over to our house that we would also like them to invite us over to their place. We're not giving. We're buying. We're buying their appreciation. We're buying their love. We're buying their loyalty. We're buying their defense, their backup their favor. And Jesus says, man, when you do that, that's not, God's not giving you points for that. You're just spending money on yourself, ultimately. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. These are people that are never going to give anything back to you directly. But they're going to be the people that God puts the stuff in this bucket And if you do this, watch, 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 watch. If you do this, you will be blessed. It's promise. Why? Because they cannot repay you. For, watch this, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. You're going to get it back with interest. But the money that you get back with interest is the money you give away that in this life is never going to be repaid. Now, why do we do this? I'll close with this verse from Jesus. Because he commands us to love one another as I love you. And here's the reality of it. You ready for this, Chris Napier? Can you pay Jesus back for what he's done for you? Will you ever pay him back? Phil, will you ever pay Jesus back? Mandy, will you ever pay Jesus back? Will any of you ever pay Jesus back? Can't do it. You see, when he came and he died for you on the cross and he made a way for you into heaven, you know why he did it? Because spiritually, this is true of you. It's true of us. We are the poor. Spiritually, I'm crippled. I'm lame. And especially sometimes when it comes to money, I'm blind. How about you? So when Jesus says to love one another the way I've loved you, give it away to people who will never pay you back. Because that's how Jesus loves you.